This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Is this on? Who knows what's going on over here? I think we're on. I hope we have audio. Ah, okay, first of all, first and foremost, we have to say it's Lili Nishma, somebody over here. So while, while I find out um, who it is for, I was just joking. I just said while I find out until I found it out. Now I found it out. Okay, so this class, the food is dedicated for Natan Tolik Ben Yedidya. Okay, so a lot, it has to be some sort of introduction going on today. Um, first of all, yes, this is uh, not water. Um, well, technically, it has some H2O in there. Okay, so what I can tell you about, about trying to arrange this class is that this class should not have happened like 10 times it should not have happened. It was like, question if it was going to happen, it was not going to happen. First of all, it's all close to Sukkot. And it's right after Yom Kippur, where people don't really feel like I did enough spirituality for like at least a week. Um, so we're doing class right after Yom Kippur. People are still recuperating. People still have to get ready for Sukkot. So we're going back and forth. Should we do a class? Should we not do a class? Besides the fact that I have about a thousand things on my plate that, I had, to be, that had to be done today, uh, which is why I called it for earlier, and why we're starting just about out in time for our usual week. But, so, at the end of the day, so, you know, my wife had to be out, I had to be out, so we needed a babysitter. So we went and we called every single babysitter we knew. No one, what? Nobody, nobody was available. So I said, what am I supposed to do, you know? So I don't know if I could name people over here, so I'm not going to. One of the girls that arranges, that, that you know, does, uh, you, know, uh, you know, part of the arrangement, I said, listen, we don't have a babysitter. She's like, I'll find you a babysitter. About, you know, a few minutes later, she's like, I got you a babysitter. Happens to be, it's one of the girls from the chat. Happens to be, she's right now babysitting. So it's a big shout out and a big thank you and a big schut for that girl who's actually babysitting now, my messy house. Um, and besides the fact that the reason why I'm late, I have to tell you this, is, you know, I told you guys 7.30 sharp. I, you know, 7.30 sharp for me obviously means 7.31 or, you know, whatever. Uh, but I only came back from the doctor with all my three kids at 7.30. So, and it was just... You know, after all that, I'm like, I'm just thinking, I'm like, the Satan does not want this class to happen. I come into class finally, I put up the camera, and guess what's missing again? This is my fault, I can't blame this on the Satan. This is my fault, there's no memory card in here. So then again, I had to go run to the house, pick up the memory card, and come back. It's like almost the Satan does not want this issue to happen. So there's one of two things. Either this issue is going to be so amazing, because it happens to be the only way that it's going to be amazing. Every, every class needs Siyat it needs help from God. This class, all the more so. Besides the fact that I had Yom Kippur, so as I was preparing this, I was pulling things, so I, things are still floating in my head. I usually like to have everything on paper. Usually I like to have everything memorized. This class is going to be a little bit different uh, than that. What can I tell you? But, so there's two ways that it could go. Either it could go so amazing because it's all in God's hands. Sometimes you think you do 0.1%. Really, you don't even do 0.1%. Sometimes you feel you do a 0.1%. This one, there's nothing. I, like, I can't, like, I'm telling God, everything is in your hands. So, Let's pray and hope that this class is going to be... If this class is not good, then it's all my fault. If it's amazing, it's all on God. Um, okay, so with that introduction, this is the last class before I, the, I, you know, Sukkot. And we're going to have the next class probably the first Thursday after Sukkot. So everybody's welcome at 1601 Quentin Road at 8 p.m. on Thursdays for women only. Why is it so hard for me? Okay. You know what's funny? Usually, I start sweating, and I start, you know, my heart starts pounding when I'm learning to walk. Here, it's before I even started. So it's like a guy who's working out, and he takes the steroids before he works out. Like, imagine what type of workout that's going to be. So, 
Um, yeah, it's probably going to get a little bit rowdy over here. How can I tell you? I'm just from my end, at least. Um, okay. I feel like I need one of those fans. <laughs> I think it's going to make a difference at this yeah, point. It's not going to make it. I'm going to still be schwitzing away. Okay. But you know what it is. When you clean for Pesach, I don't know if we're going to get to the class. But if you, when you clean for Pesach, when you do a mitzvah and you sweat for the mitzvah, those sweat is worth so much. So when you're going, and that's why when you're learning, let's say, and it's uncomfortable, you get all that more reward, the, the learning that you do. When you're doing, when you're modest, so let's say, you know, you live in Mother Russia, uh, Siberia, wherever, and it's freezing over there. So everybody there is dressing modestly because they have no other options. Some people, you know, they, they go beyond, you know, they're chasidim and the, the way that, or the other way. They do whatever possibly you can to do, but when you're, when you're modest and it's easy, see, of course you get reward because you're modest, but when you're modest and it's hard and you're sweating, all that sweat is worth so much more. So when you're cleaning for Pesach, and it's not Pesach, but you know, you know the joke they say for, it says for Sukkot, men have to build the Sukkah, and um, they, they do you know, work, obviously the women are still doing the majority of the stuff, and um, for Pesach, the women do the majority of the stuff. But something very interesting. It says, uh, the woman, when do they start cleaning for Pesach? They start on Arab Sukkot. When do the men start building for the, for the Sukkot? Also Arab Sukkot. They both start the same day. The question is, you know, one's doing it for, you know, one has a six-month head start, one doesn't. But when you're doing, when you're cleaning for Pesach, and you're doing a mitzvah, and you're sweating, it's worth all that more, because the Fum Tzara God, the Pilgrim Alba tells us, the Chazal tell us, that the harder, the more difficult something is for you to do, the more strenuous that you put into it, the greater the reward that you're, uh, that you're getting, uh, you know, for it. Okay. So now let's get to Sukkot. Sukkot, so the, the amazing holiday of Sukkot. You know, it's, people don't speak enough about Sukkot. Yeah, people for Pesach are already speaking, you know, like a month before people are speaking about Pesach. But the problem is that for Sukkot, you got Yom Kippur and you have Rosh Hashanah. The high holidays are right before, before Sukkot. So Sukkot, like, you have like four days for like, you know, all, all, everybody to be like, okay, what are we going to learn about Sukkot? And you try to like put everything in there and it gets almost like flown by the radar. So it is important that we're doing it. Hopefully we'll be able to inspire everybody here um, to change your lives forever. Why not? I don't know. I mean, all right, a few people. All right. Okay, so let's begin. So we're going to ask a few questions. I have to remind myself to slow down. You know, when you're, when you're rushing, everything is fast. So we are going to go really slow now. I'm counting a few minutes. Later. Oh, okay, we're okay. Okay, fine. So now the... The Sukkot, the Zohar says regarding Sukkot, Sukkot is such an amazing holiday, such a, such a beautiful holiday. The, the Zohar says that it's known as Tila de Mehemnusa. We can we lower it if you want, it's fine. Um, the, it says Tila de Mehemnusa, the, the Sukkot is the shade of the Muna. So question number one, let's go through a few questions. Question number one, what does that mean you're sitting in the Sukkot and you're in the shade of the Muna? So for some, you know, in some uh, areas, whether you're in Brooklyn or other places in the world, if you're living outside your house as an Orthodox Jew, then yes, you really have to, you know, go by faith of God because, you know, what goes on, you know, people can, who knows, do what. So, yeah, you really have to be in faith because you're living outside. You have nothing else but to rely on God. I remember one time I was in, um, can we, is it bad? Is it, it's a place that, that's not near Rockaway, but the opposite of near Rockaway. So in a place, you know, uh, you know the opposite of near Rockaway, uh, in the not the, let's just say we had, you know, it was a very brotherly neighborhood. Um, so, uh, you know, and uh, so I had relatives over there, so I was in a sukkah. I was in a sukkah in the back, but I'm telling you, so I, you know, I, went, I wanted to go sleep in the sukkah. Every sound 
I'm like, I ran in, I was like getting knives under my, I don't know what, I, you know, I was becoming Chuck Norris over there, I was getting like all these stuff over here, you get, well, the sukkah was a zipper one, you know, it was, a zipper, it was like a cloth one, right, you sneeze too loud, the whole thing shakes, so, you know, it's not like, I'm protected, so you, all you have to do is like rely, to, uh, you know, on God, like, you know, every time you hear, you know, you know, some crackling the leaf, it could be just a raccoon, uh, which happened to be it was, which is not as, you know, you know, you hear crackling, Shema Yisrael, you know, you're sitting over there, you really become religious, uh, you know, in that uh, foxhole. But in any case, you're sitting in, in the sukkah, you need the faith of, of God in there, per se, in a certain extent, because sometimes people are scared, and that's all they're left, they're left with the faith of Imunah. But that's not what the Zohar means. The Zohar is not saying, hey, you know, like, you have to go and sit in the sukkah, because that's the only way you're going to survive, is if you have faith. It's talking about something else. There, <coughs> there is um, the, the Zara Kodesh, Rabbi Abrabshitz goes like this, says like this, says something very interesting, he quotes it from a medrash, that says that Avraham Avinu, when Avraham Avinu went and he had those three angels come over to him, it says that he actually fed them in the sukkah. He fed them in the shade. What was the shade? The shade was, was a sukkah. And the Medash goes and says that there because of the reward that God is going to give, because Avraham went and fed the angels under the sukkah, the Jewish people will have a sukkah, they'll have the Ananiah Kavod, and God will protect them. So there's a few things that we're going to get into it, what we see over here. And the, the Midrash goes further, that when Moses, when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to heaven to receive the Torah, the angels were not like, you know, like, why don't you come, yeah, here's the Torah. They were like, whoa, whoa, what's this mortal doing over here? Like, why are we giving him the Torah? Like, well, what's going on over here? So, God goes and, and, and he made Moses' face, Moshe Rabbeinu's face, resemble that of Avraham Avinu. He resembled that of Abraham Avinu, and you know, and, and God told the angel, says, "Aren't you ashamed?" He says, "You, you know, he fed you in his house. Now you're gonna, you know, he, he's up over here. You know, treat him with respect." And the, the pasuk over there says, over there in Genesis chapter 18, uh, verse four, that the schut, because of the merit, the, it's hinted over here, because of the merit of what Abraham did for the angels, the the it says over here, what did he do? It says, He told the angels, "Take some water." Go and wash your feet. We know why you wash your feet, because, you know, afraid they were sand worshippers or worshipping, you know, the dust of their feet. And it says, go recline under the tree. But look at something very interesting. You take the first words of the last four letters. Raglachem is resh. Vihishanu is vav. Tachat is taf. And haetz is, is a, is a hey that spells out Torah. That spells out Torah. What we see over here is the merit that Avraham Avinu went and he gave those angels to eat under the tree, under the sukkah. That's why the Jewish people got the Torah. So we see over here two, two big things that were happening over here. Number one, it, do I hear myself? Do you hear that? Does anybody else hear myself? Does anybody hear, hear myself? Whatever, okay, that doesn't make sense. Okay, I don't know what's going on. I hope that the audio is fine, but let's, let's move on. We did what we had to do. Okay, the... The question that we have, so we have over here two things. Number one, the merit of, yeah, of Avraham Avinu. What do we say till now? Let's try, to, uh, let's try to, to put things in perspective and put things very clear. Number one, because of Avraham Avinu gave to the angels to eat under the sukkah, we got two things. Number one, we got the protection of the Ananeha Kavod, the clouds of glory when the Jewish people went into the Midbar. This protected them from everything. That's number one. Number two, we also got the merit. We received the Torah because of that. We receive the Torah because of the merit of Avraham Avinu. Now let's try to understand this. What is the connection between the Sukkah, between the Torah? We have a lot of questions that we have to deal with. First of all, even a greater question is the, you know, the Shvili Pinchas brings this down. He says, like, he asks a question like this. He says that, HaKadosh Baruch went, you know, let me, let me picture this scenario. Well, come, come with me on this, you know, imagination journey. Moses goes up to heaven. And God makes his face, you know, he gets a face transplant, you know, instantly, and he looks like Avraham Avinu. And the angels come and be like, hey, 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 hey what, what, what's he doing? And God's like, I'm giving you the Torah, give me the Torah to mere mortals, they weren't so happy with that. 
Then God says, oh, he, you know, he looks like Moshe Abinu. He's, you know, he looks like Abraham Abinu. He put you under the tree. He gave you to, to eat. And I'll keep oh, okay, fine. And that, that worked fine. Like, think of it like this. Somebody goes, and your father has a precious, priceless diamond. And you come home, and you see your father wrapping the diamond. He says, uh, what's going on, Dad? What are you doing with this diamond? He says, oh, there's a guest downstairs. I'm going to go give it to him. And you can think of that guest. He runs downstairs, see who that is. He's some, you know, guy. He runs up, he's like, Dad, who is this guy? He says, why are you giving him our precious, you know, our priceless diamond? So the father says, don't you remember four years ago, you went to visit him, and he put you with shade, and he gave you something to drink? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Okay, I guess give him the precious diamond. And everyone's like, okay, God is giving, he's about to give us the priceless Torah. And the chachamim, are, the angels are going, and they're trying to go and say, no, 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 don't do it. And the way that God silenced them is like, hey, he put you under the shade, you know? Gave you something to eat, something to drink. It's not the Italian mafia, you know, like you just have to agree with whatever it says. Like, listen, didn't I, uh, you know, do you a favor one time ago? And be like, what, are you going to argue with me? And be like, no, 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 I'm sorry, you know. It's all Johnny, what, what can I do for you, you know? Uh, you know, you're not going to go, I wasn't like that. Like, it, it really silenced him. So how can it be? How would, do you guys understand the question? Saying a bunch of blank faces. You don't understand the question. Okay, good, good, you tell me. Okay, so... I'm hearing myself. Nobody else is hearing me. Is it, is it like it's uh, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Oh, whatever. We're, we're going to go on with that. With that. Okay. Let, let me try. Let me try to. Let's try to clarify this question. It's a very important, very easy, very simple, very straightforward question. If I think so myself. Okay. So now. Okay. At least I have an audience. Okay. <laughs> might be myself, but whatever. Uh, for some people, it's an audience. So the. Um, I think when I speak over a higher pitch, if I go lower, okay. Everybody in the online world has no clue what's going on right now. They're like, what, well, what can I tell you? Come next time to class. All right. Um, the, okay, so now so follow me. God was going to give the Torah to Moses. God was going to give the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu. But the angels didn't want him to give the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu. So God made Moses look like Abraham. And because of that, Abraham did a favor for them. He did a favor. So, ah, he did a favor. Now, you did a favor. Now, that's why he's going to get the Torah. So the question that I'm asking, the question that I'm asking, the Shilat Pinchas brings this down and asks, how is that a good enough favor? He didn't save somebody's life. Like, it wasn't like he saved the entire world. He gave them, put them under a, you know, a tree, put them under some shade, gave them something to drink. The, you know, the payment doesn't seem to equal the, um, you know, the, the, the troubles that he went through. Okay, good so far? Okay. The, it says in, uh, in Yirmiyahu, in Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, it says, The Jewish people went after God in the desert without complete trust. You realize that they didn't, it wasn't something that they didn't have anything. God says, we'll go into the desert. Fine, we're going to the desert. It wasn't like, and you know, it's very difficult. You have with kids, if you're by yourself, you can be macho by yourself. Yeah, no problem, I'll go. But you have your kids, you have your wife, you have all these things, you have your husband, you have all these things that you have to deal with, you have to go in with. The Jews did not ask any questions. God says to go into, after the exodus of Egypt, God says, go to the, go, go into the Midbar, go into the desert. They said, fine. Even furthermore, we know it says this in the Exodus, in, in uh, Shemot, chapter 12, verse 39. It says, by the Ma'atzot, they, they didn't have enough time for the bread to rise. They didn't have enough time for the bread to rise, and they had to, and they had to go right away. This shows the amount of emunah, the amount of faith that the Jewish people had in God. And even if we take this one step further, we take this one step further when you go, 
you know, the, when the Jewish people crossed the, when, when they went into the, uh, the sea and there was a splitting of the sea, I know we're in the wrong holiday, but bear with me for a little bit. Well, the truth is, it's all one. Um, when they went and about to cross the street, so Moses started praying. What did God tell, what did God tell Moshe Rabbeinu in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15? It says, And God says to Moshe, Why are you screaming at me? Let them just go, go into the water. Like, that, what, what a Jew does, a Jew prays. Like, this is what was Moshe Rabbeinu supposed to do. He says, We're stuck, we pray. And what did God say? No, 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 why are you praying right now? Just go. Just go. And what the reason, one of the reasons that we had the merit to go and have the water split was because we just went. We didn't ask any questions. God said, go into the water. We go into the water. It's a level of faith that we had. This is why we begin to understand that the paradigm for all salvations, we say, is kikriyat yamsuf, like the splitting of the sea. We say that, we say in, uh, in uh, Psachim, chapter, uh, page 118a, it says, kashin mizunasav shel adam kikriyat yamsuf. A person's livelihood is as difficult as the splitting of the sea. We also know in Sotah, page 2a, that it also says that a person's zivug is also, his, his soulmate is also as hard as the splitting of the sea. What does that mean as hard as the splitting of the sea? Because for the most difficult things in life, you have to have a level of faith. Just like the Jews just went inside to the water. They just had the faith to just go inside for the most difficult, for everything, but especially for the most difficult things in life. You know what the salvation is? The salvation is emunah. The salvation is just faith. You just gotta go. You gotta do what you gotta do. The rest is in God's hands. That's why we use the, the two most difficult parts, the, the finding of zivu and the panasah. We just leave it. It's all in God's hands. How we just gotta do. We just gotta go. So now, all right. Let's try to explain this idea of, of, uh, of, simple, of, of this idea of emunah. This is a story that I read in a book uh, by Rabbi Benjamin Prusansky that, is, that he brought down in the name of Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan. And Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan tells us about himself. That when he was in Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, his, you know, the people in his, in his, you know, in, in his yeshiva, they used to say, you know, there's a certain Sephardi boy that, you know, and it was, a, I think it was called Derech Hevron, where you go over there every day after class or something like that, this boy runs down the stairs and he looks and he go and he points towards Kever Rachel and he looks. And you know why he looks? He looks to see where Mashiach. He says, Mashiach, his rabbi told him the Mashiach is going to come from that direction. So every day after class, he runs down to see if he could find, if he could see Mashiach. So this all of a sudden became like a legend. Like, really? There's a little kid that's coming out there and just looking out there. So it was like, people said it's true. People said it's not true. It was like a myth that was going on with him. So when Rabbi Ben Shushan was going and he was traveling down that road, even if you know that that's probably not true, you're still going to look. You know, when the building, you know, they said there's a big steps in the old rickety building. There's a witch sitting over there collecting money. You know how stories goes. So he said there's a little, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a staircase with steep. There the boy comes down. So every time that he drives past by, you know, he happens to look. And he's driving past by. One time, he's driving past by over there, and he sees a little boy skipping down the stairs. A little bit like eight years old. He's like, no. He's like, it can't be. He pushes the stop button on the bus. The bus stops. He runs off, and he sees a little boy going down there. And now Rabbi Menchushan is going over there. He's not going to start, you know, looking at the boy. He may believe he's waiting for the bus over there. But he sees the boy standing there, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking. So he goes in Hebrew. He says, uh, he says you, know, you know, kid, what, what, what are you looking for? So the kid, the smart Israeli kid, he hears the accent. He says, uh, "You American?" He says, "Tamelikai." Uh, he says, uh, "He's like, yeah, I'm American." He says, "Lo chashuv." Doesn't matter. He says, "Americans not going to understand me." You know, smart Israeli kid. So, um, so the, but the rabbi, you know, is 21 years old at the time. He says, "No, no, no. Come on, please. You know, uh, tell me." He says, "No, no, no." He says, "He said, please. I beg of you, please tell me what are you waiting for? What are you looking for?" So, you know, I guess the kid saw that he wasn't going to be made fun of. The guy was really sincere. So he says, "You know, my rabbi told me." He says that Mashiach is going to go from Kevah Rachel because it's going to greet Kevah Rachel and it says, you know, God answered the prayers of your children. 
to greet him. He says, that's where Kevachel, I'm coming to see if Mashiach came. And, you know, so Rabbi Benchushan said, he says, you know, uh, when Mashiach comes, he says, you will greet him. And you'll be one of the front of the lines. He says, but let me ask you, says Rabbi Benchushan, goes to ask this kid. He says, what are you going to ask, you know, Mashiach when, you, when, when he comes? And the kid says, says I'm going to ask Mashiach, says, what took you so long? I've been waiting for so long for you. But this is a kid with pure, simple, unadulterate faith. He doesn't, you know, like, we're like, yeah, yeah, God, please have Mashiach, you know, like, but we're already planning a three-year vacation from now where we're going to go to Honolulu and all the details of that. We're not like, yeah, no, for sure Mashiach is coming. Somebody asked him, when's Mashiach coming? Tomorrow is Mashiach coming, right? But meanwhile, you're already, you know, working on your vacation, you're working on all your other plans for 14 years in advance. Um, so th- there's a different idea of, of, you know, of a faith when, you know, when it's like, you know, just pure and unadulterated. But this is the faith that the Jewish people had. Pure, unadulterated faith. Says Rav Shem Pinkus. He goes and, and he brings down a Gemara Makot, page 23b. It says that, you know, when Moses received the 613 commandments, we know that there are 365 negative commandments, and there is 248 positive commandments, 365, this is, uh, you know, the, the solar calendar, th- uh, 248 corresponding to the limbs of a man. Now, there's a very interesting Gemara. The Gemara says like this. The Gemara in Makot says that King David went and he focused on 11 mitzvot. If you want to go into all the details, you look at the Gemara over there. We're not going to go into the, all those. He said they gave 11 mitzvot to focus on. And then came Yeshayahu. And he brought it down. Six mitzvot you have to focus on. And then Micha came and says, no, only three. These generations after generations are coming down. He says, only three you have to focus on. And finally came Chavkuk and he says, only one. What was the mitzvah that he says in Chavkuk page, uh, chapter 2 verse 4? It says, Litzadik be'emunato yichyeh. A righteous person lives by faith. That was his only mitzvah. So now, first of all, the question that is asked, like, what do you mean that, you know, he only gave us one mitzvah to work on? We, we try to do all the mitzvahs. We try to do all 613. Obviously, many are not applicable nowadays because we don't have the better, you know, we don't have the better mikdash. We are not, we're, you know, we're not male and female at the same time, even though some people think they are. We're not a Kohen Levi and Yisrael. Also, some people probably also think that. It says we, we cannot do all the 613, but still we try to do it. So what does it mean that Havkuk went and tried to bring it down only to one mitzvah? The question that we're going to ask even furthermore is like, okay, fine, you want to bring it down to one mitzvah. What was the one mitzvah that he brought it down to? Emunah, faith. Out of all the mitzvot that he could have picked on, why did he pick, like if you're boiling down everything, every, all the mitzvot, he says, like, listen, only, we're only doing one, why is it emunah? Why is it faith? Let him say Shabbat, let him say kosher, let him say something else. Why did he bring it down to faith and faith only? So Shem Shempika said that he heard this from Yosef Lis that the briskarav was one of the things that troubled him more than anything else was the desecrations of the graves in Israel. When the, when the Arab, you know, or, or whoever it was, went and they desecrated the Jewish graves, it hurt him deeply, so much so that he ended up crying in pain at night, uh, you know, in his sleep from, from, this, uh, from this pain and agony that he had. One time, you know, they heard that uh, the graves were being dug up again, and they realized, the son realized, you know, someone came and told the son, and says, you know, the, the digging of the graves, says, you know, we had to tell my father, but... He says, I can't do that. I can't do that to him. He says, and he asked the messenger, who was a rabbi, he says, please, can you go and can you uh, bring up, can you, can you, you know, mention this to him? So he said, fine. And they were so nervous, they thought the rabbi was going to pass out because every time he gets so in agony on it. And they went to the rabbi, the, the, you know, the Riskarov, and they went to him and he says, you know, listen, you know, sorry to tell you this, but the graves situation is again being, you know, torn up in, uh, you know, for the Jewish cemetery. So th- what the rabbi did shocked them. He said, you know, he says, what can I do? I've done all that I can. And they were like, well, like, that's it. You know, like, you usually get so, you know, riled up over this. So he went and he started quoting a medrash, a medrash in Echa Rabbah. He said, he, brought, he brings down 
Four kings, David, Asya, Yehoshaphat, and Chizkiyahu. It says like this, it says David goes over and they each prayed to God and God answered them. Listen to what they prayed and how they prayed and how you know God answered them. King David goes and he says regarding his enemies, and I'm going to quote, he says, this is in Psalm and Tehillim chapter 18, it says, I will pursue my enemies and I will overtake them. God says, I will fulfill it. I mean, that was his prayer. God said that I'm going to fulfill it. Asa came and he says, I don't have the strength to kill them. Rather, I'm going to pursue them and then you will kill them. And God says, I'll fulfill it. Check, no problem. You got it. Then Yehoshaphat came and says, I don't have the, yeah, I don't have the power either to kill them or to pursue them. Rather, I'm going to sing your praise and you do the rest. You pursue them, kill them, you do, you know, you take care of it. God says, I will fulfill it. Chizkiyahu came and he says, I don't have the strength not to kill, not to pursue and not to sing praise. Rather, I'm going to go to sleep in my bed and you do it. And God says, I'll do it. That is the Midrash. Now the Briskarov asks, it says, I don't understand. Was Chizkiyahu smarter? Chizkiyahu was like, hey, listen, everybody, you know, like, um, let's see how far we can take this. What was Chizkiyahu doing? Like, everybody went, King David, who came the first, he says, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to fight them, I'm gonna, you know, and I'm going to be able to kill them, pursue them. And God says, yeah, and if you realize, as the generations go down, they ask for less and less. And all of a sudden, Chizkiyahu asked for almost nothing. He says, listen, I'm going to go to sleep, uh, you take care of it. And that's what happened. You know, the, the Sanchev, the whole army got decimated in the night. The um, angel came, there was a plague, and, you know, destroyed them all. So, they'll do less and less, right. So the rabbi answered a very, very important, a very important understanding over here. It says that each person is obligated to do everything that it is his power or her power to do. And no more. You're obligated to do whatever you have the strength to do it. Each king asked God for whatever they were able to do. More than that, they couldn't do it. They, they wanted to, but they, they couldn't. They were only able to do and they're only held liable to do whatever they are able to do. More than that, they're not held liable. That's why each king asked. You knew what they were able to accomplish. He says, I could do until here. God says, I know that's all you can do. You do that, I'll take care of the rest. And that's all that God asks. This is a a, a very, very important, uh, a very, very important concept. Now, this, when, you know, when the Torah was given originally, the Jewish people were on a very, very high level. All 613 commandments, they were able to do. But as the generation dwindled, as the generation went down spiritually, there was only so much that they could do. They couldn't. And as it goes down and down, we fall more and more further from the path, unfortunately. Doesn't mean that we're allowed to. But this is just that, you know, that we don't, we don't practice at the type of a level of devotion and the way that we had the righteous people in the previous generation. By the time it came to Chavkuk, by the time it came to him, the whole Torah, what was each, what was each, you know, you know, you know, leader was doing at that time? Like King David says, we have 11. Every, every leader says, we can only focus on 11 mitzvot. Then he says, no, 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 11 is too much. We can only focus on 6. And then Michael, no, 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 we can only focus on 3. Until Havkuk says, no, no, we can only focus on 1. We can only focus on 1. More than that, we can't do. What is the one that we can focus on? A righteous person lives through faith, lives through his emunah. The understanding of this, as Shem Shem Pinkus, goes and says that, really, we don't even have the power to do anything. Everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. But in order for us to be able to get the siyata dishmaya, siyata dishmaya means the help from God, we need to have be a receptacle to something. The way that we build this receptacle is through faith. Once you have faith, then you have the help from God, then that will only help you. It, you know, you have to understand this, that when, when, when King David came and says, hey, only do 11 mitzvot, doesn't mean you only have to do 11 mitzvot. You mean, focus on the 11 mitzvot. From that, God will give you the, the help, the power to, to do everything else. And as the things went down, it says, no, we can't focus on 11, we can only focus on, on 6, 3, and then finally 1. 1 is the emunah. Emunah, and this is where we are nowadays. The only thing that we can focus on is emunah. Once we have the faith, then we have the receptacle that we be able to get the help from God, and from that, God takes care of everything else. We need to do what we're able to do. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Okay. Um, but how do you know that 
Hashem wants us to stop and take over. Like, I can stop at any point, no problem. But, like, I don't know how much Hashem wants me to do. Excellent question. I have to do something. So this is a very, very... So let hold that question till the end. I'm not going to answer it fully till the, by, by the time we get to the end, but you'll have a little bit of understanding, but then we'll try to address that a little bit more. So now, the let's speak about matzah a little bit. No, nobody even wants to think about matzah, but let's speak a little bit about matzah. Matzah no, is known as the bread of healing. This is what the Zohar brings down. Now, the Gemara and Elvin brings down something very interesting. And the briskerot brings that also. You realize any medicine that you take, something very interesting. Any medicine that you take, it's beneficial to one part of your body, but detrimental to another part of your body. Like let's say you take pain medication. So certain pain medication takes the pain away, but it's not good for your kidneys or for your liver. You take chemotherapy, God forbid, and you know, no one here should ever need it, but if they take it, it's good for, you know, kills the cancer cells, but also kills the good cells. You, you realize medication, it's good for one part of the body, and it's, good, it's not good for the other part of the body. And the, the truth is, this is really with everything, even the food. That's why we have to uh, relieve ourselves in the bathroom, because the body takes only the good stuff and releases the bad stuff. We have a filtration system that's going on over there. But the, the way that it works, in medicine specifically, is that when something's good for one part, it's not necessarily good for another part. That's in human medicine. But when we're dealing in spiritual medicine, you're talking about godly medicine... That's good for everybody. Like, there's no bad part in it. So now the question that is asked is if the matzah is known as the bread of healing. It's talking about bread of healing spiritually. If the matzah could heal you spiritually. If the matzah could heal you spiritually, then when you eat the matzah, you should be healed spiritually. Meaning, once you eat the matzah, you should be good. You should not have anger problems. You should not have any spiritual problems. You should be completely clean of everything. But then the question is asked, but I understand, people after Sukkot, they go... And they still have the same problems. Let's look at it. We just finished Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, people went over there. At least we hope everybody you know, went and prayed and said, listen, I want to be a new person. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. I'm starting today. I'm clean. Starting now. You know, I'm all good. I'm all straight. I'm all doing everything directly what God wants. But yet, very quickly, we fall into our own old paths. Now, if Yom Kippur, and we know Yom Kippur has the power to go and erase all our sins, uh, depending on the sins, but the majority of the sins you're able to erase it from Yom Kippur, then how come we fall so far, so quickly, so fast, right after Yom Kippur? It doesn't make sense. I thought Yom Kippur should help us, should heal us. Then we should be good. Why are we falling back again? Now, obviously, we're to blame on it, but shouldn't, you know, and, and if you think about it, if somebody has a good Yom Kippur, the second that Yom Kippur is over, they feel like a different person. They're like, all right, you know, like, I did this. You know, like, I'm going to be the most righteous. Like, who, who needs a blessing? Like, who needs children? Who need, I'm like, bring it, you know, like, they're the Baba Sali of the generation over there, you know. You know they're, and, and, and granted, they should be, because we're a very high level right after Yom Kippur. But like, you know, driving home from shul, all of a sudden someone cuts you off, everything's like, you know, like, I can't believe, you know, I haven't eaten in 48 hours, even though it's 24, but some men count the double, whatever it is, you know. So, uh, you know, it, it's... How can we fall so far so fast? It doesn't make any sense. If Yom Kippur has the power to heal, then where are we? Why are we not healed? So, Rabbi Shem Shepikas goes and brings down a, a mashallah parable. Imagine a guy, he has some sort of skin lesions. He has some, some uh, you know, skin problem. He goes to a skin specialist. The skin specialist says, ah, oh, you need some cream. Gives him some cream. Tries the cream. Nothing happens. You know, the cream, you know, he tries it for a week, two weeks. He comes back to the doctor. He says, listen, nothing's going, you know, the, the, you know, the infection, whatever it is, it's still there. So he said, listen, now it's out of my control. You got to go to a, I don't know, a blood specialist. Let him do run some, you know, some, uh, you know, some tests. Maybe he could figure something out. So he runs to the specialist, runs the test. He says, you do have an, you do have an infection. And he says, creams is not going to help you. What you need is I'm going to give you some oral medication. Three times a day, take this for 10 days and you're going to be okay. 
So the guy says, fine. He goes home, takes the medication, pops in the first pill, you know, waits a half hour, looks in the mirror, skin, you know, lesions are still there, the you know, problem's still there. He says, fine, I'll wait a little bit more. He waits two, three days, looks at the mirror, skin problem is still there. He's still got the same blisters, he's still got the same rash, he's still got everything. He's like, he says, you know what, the doctor says, I'm going to wait all 10 days. He goes all 10 days, finally after 10 days, he inspects himself in the mirror, he's like, nothing changed. I still got the same lesions. He goes back to the doctor, doc, I want a refund. What's going on over here? Insurance. Uh, he goes and he says, uh, and the doctor says, let me run some tests. He pulls his blood, runs some tests, he says, listen, he says, your infection is gone. He says, but look at my whole body, it's still full of lesions, it's still full of all my skin rashes. What's going on? The doctor says, you have to wait. He says, you're healed. He says, it takes time for the skin to actually go and show it that, that it's healed. But you have to know this, you are healed. And if you're going to go back to your old habits of eating, of sleeping, of the way that you've been doing it, then you're going to get the infection back. The infection is healed, but you have to believe that you're healed and you have to act like you're healed. You'll see, within a few weeks, everything is going to go away. And so it was. Within a few weeks, slowly the lesions you know, started disappearing. The same thing happens after Yom Kippur. Where a day after Yom Kippur, you have to realize we are different people. We are different. We are completely different people than we were two days ago. But you have to believe in that. If you don't believe that you're different, then you're just going to keep on acting the same way that you've always been acting. And guess what? Nothing is going to change. Because you are still thinking that you're that same person with the same disease. It says, listen, if this is not helping, I'm eating on unhealthy. Bring in the fats. You know, let me eat all the sugar. Let me eat all the, you know, the unhealthy stuff. And little did he know that he was healed, but now he brought the sickness back upon himself. Every holiday, we have spiritual powers inside them. Yom Kippur, we're healed. You know, for example, Matzah, we also had the power of healing with that. After those holidays, you are healed. But if you don't believe and you don't act like you're healed, then guess what? You're going to fall into the same exact trap. You're not going to take care of yourself. You're going to fall back into the same, same you know, exact thing, where you, same exact position you are before. When we're... <clears throat> you also think about it. It's like, imagine someone sitting in, you know, in prison. And he's locked up in chains, but it's pitch black. And there's a guy that whispers in his ears, says, hey, listen, I just snipped your chains. Run. Just get out of here fast. But he doesn't believe because he still feels the cuffs. He says, Honey. he still stays over there because he thinks he still, he doesn't want to move it and then he's going to get yanked. He just stays over there with the chains. This is us. We're, our chains are free. As of today, our chains are free. But if you don't go and you just don't go run with it, within a very short period of time, you're going to be exactly where you are before Yom Kippur. The idea is we need emunah. We need to have faith. Not only faith in God, but faith in ourselves. That we're changed people. That we're able to change. Tzaddik, a righteous person. You know how you get righteous? You have to have that faith. You have to have the, the emunah. There was once a guy, you know, was a righteous man. He had a store in, um, I believe in Syria, uh, post-ISIS, pre-ISIS. Um, and... And Aram Saba, and he went over there. And he was a very righteous man, and he had a shop, but he didn't work so hard. He woke up very, very early in the morning, and he went to he went to the Betak Neset, and he went and he prayed very early, very, very slowly, with a lot of kavanah, each and every single word. You know, after his long prayer finally finished, he closes his book, and then he opens up the other books. He starts learning. He learns Gemara, he learns Halakha, he opens up, and he learns for a few hours before he even begins the day. He's learning for a few hours, then. He goes, and then he goes, and finally he finishes after his few hours of learning, he goes home, and he eats a light breakfast, and after he finishes his light breakfast, he goes and he says, with all the kavanot, very slowly, with a lot of things. By the time he gets to work, it's around midday. And people knew that he was a righteous man, and people wanted to go and do a lot, you know, a lot of business with a righteous man. They know it's a righteous man. 
So his wife, though, you know, wasn't so, you know, fond of him, you know, going to work only at 1, you know, 12, you know, 1, you know, p.m. In the, in the afternoon. So she goes and says, wake up earlier, you know, go, get to work a little earlier. You, you know, if you go work more, you'll make more money. And he says to her, he says, that's not how it works. He says, because I spend so much time in the Bet Midrash, because I learn, because I pray, because I do everything what I do, that's why I have the Panasah. By me working more, it's not going to give me more panas, huh? And his wife says, no, just the opposite. The more you work, the more money that you're going to get. You know, and she was, uh, you know, pushing him for that way. He didn't change. He continued his, you know, his, you know, his path. One day, an Arab merchant comes over to him and, you know, looks in shabby clothes. You know, he looks, you know, he comes into the store, looks right and left. He goes into the, you know, to the, um, to, you know, to, the, you know, to this uh, holy man and he says, uh, listen, I have uh, something I want you to praise for me. So the merchant says, sure. He takes off his turban and he starts unwinding it. And he goes into a little pocket over there and he pulls out a beautiful diamond, a beautiful jewel. And, you know, the, you know, the, rabbi, the holy man looks at it. He's like, wow, it's unbelievable. He says, uh, how much is this worth? He looks at it and he says, this diamond, minimum 50,000 lira. So it's a lot, a lot of money. So the Arab said, listen, I've been in this town for quite some time. I'm desperate. I need to sell it. Do you want it? I'll give it to you for the price. And he said, listen, I, I, if I had the money, I would take it. He says, but it's too much. I, I, don't have that, I don't have that cash over here. So the Arab says, you know, all right, thank you very much. You know, and he starts winding it back up. The, you know, but the, the Jew told him, the, you know, the rabbi, the holy man told him, he says, listen, he says, I could ask around the other merchants. He says, maybe I'll be able to find you a buyer. He says, fine. He says, he's staying at this and this hotel. So he said, fine, and they parted their ways. The next day, he wakes up, the same Jew wakes up early, does the same thing. Comes about one o'clock in the afternoon, and he starts making his way down to the uh, to the shop. When he gets to the um, when he gets to the shop, he you know a little bit a few blocks before he happened to pass by the hotel that this Arab merchant was staying by, and he sees there's a small crowd that was gathering about around this Arab merchant, and he starts gathering around. You know, says what's going on over here. He says, so one of the people buys from him says, you know, there was, a, there was a merchant over here, there was an Arab merchant that uh, stayed here for quite some time, racked up quite a bill, didn't pay, and last night he had a heart attack and he died. So the government allowed to, you know, he had little possessions, they're auctioning off the possessions in order to pay the debt that he has for the hotel. So he says, wow, that's very interesting. And suddenly he sees the next item that's going to be auctioned is that turban. And the guy's like, is that the turban? Is that the same Arab? He's like, you know, so the guy, you know, he sees the turban, he's like, I gotta take my chance. So he raises his hand for the first bid, 10 lira. So there's another Muslim looks out there and he says, 15 lira. And he goes, the Jew bids back, you know, 18 lira. And the, the Arab merchant says, what is this guy paying so much money for us? You know, rotten hat. He says, let the silly, you know, smelly Jew have it. He's like, yeah, whatever. So he goes, going once, going twice, sold. He buys the hat for. Now he didn't, you know, he didn't just like open it up and show it to everybody the Jew. He's like, thank you very much, put it in his back, went straight home. He goes straight home, he's smiling, he's whistling, he is all happy, he's like, feels inside the back, he you know, feels something's in there. And his wife sees him up there, she's like, what are you doing back so early? He says, why aren't you in the shop? Why don't you just make some money for the family? And he's like, listen, you don't know, we don't have to deal with it, don't worry about it. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he says, look at this, look at this beautiful piece of merchandise that I've just bought. She smells, she takes one whiff of the B.O. that comes out of that hat, and she's like, what is this? What are you bringing into my house over here? And he's like, listen, listen, he starts unwinding the, un- unwinding the turban until he takes out a precious jewel. And he says to her, and he says, and he tells her the whole story, and he says, you want to know why I was able to find it? He says, because I came to work at 1 p.m. He says, if I would have came to work at 9 a.m. in the morning like you wanted me to, guess what? I wouldn't have known that he you know, had a heart attack and he passed away and they were, they were you know, raffling off or you know, auctioning off all the stuff. Only because I did what I did, that's why we got this and that's why God gave it to them. Since then, 
the wife was an Adel and Adel. She's like, listen, my dear husband, whatever you say, I believe you. You know, could I have the credit card, please? I, I just remembered something, you know. Uh, you know. This is what it is. A righteous person lives, lives with faith. Does it, lives with faith. And when you live with faith, God takes care of you. God takes care of you when you live, uh, when you're, when you live with faith. You still have to be responsible. Of course you have to be responsible. Of course. Of course you have to be responsible. Get to, uh, you know what? I'll tell you a story that I wasn't sure if I was going to um, mention it or not. <laughs> but uh, it was once a construction worker. And what he was doing, his job was, he, you know, he, he would basically dig pits before the days of tractors. And uh, so he would go and he would shovel, he would dig, you know, dig, uh, you know, pits. And uh, one day when he was by his particular construction site, he saw a herd of, of sheep that was right there. And he was looking at the sheep and, he, you know, like, you know, the, you know, as he was shoveling and he noticed that one sheep went into the forest. There was a forest nearby and it just like by itself, just like strolled right into the forest. And he's waiting for the sheep to come out and the sheep doesn't come out. And he's like, that's so odd. And he comes the next day to the same construction site and he's looking at the sheep again. And as he's, you know, staring at the sheep, he sees another time a sheep is walking right into the forest. He's like, that's two for two. That something's really going on over here. And he's looking, he's waiting. The whole day he's waiting. He's waiting for the sheep to come out. Sheep never comes out. And he's like, all right. Now, the next day, he's coming to work. He's, he's, he's shoveling, but he's just staring at the sheep the entire time. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, one sheep starts walking into the forest. And he's like, that's it. You know, he throws on the shovel. He says, I'm taking my break now. And he runs after the sheep. And he, and, he, and he takes his distance and he's following the sheep. The sheep is walking as if it knows exactly where it's going into. He goes and walks and suddenly he goes, gets into this big cave and it walks into this cave. He takes a few steps you know, into this cave. He sees it's pitch black. He's like, probably not so smart to go into pitch black cave. Um, and, he's like, you know, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to wait outside for the sheep to come out. And he's waiting and he's waiting. An hour goes by, no sheep comes back. And he's like, what is going on over here? He's like, what are you supposed to do? He goes home. The next day, he comes back to work. Guess what? He is looking right at the sheep the entire time. And he's staring at the sheep. And lo and behold, the sheep, one sheep comes in. He tells the guy, says, listen, you know, I'm done for the day. I need to go, whatever. I'll be back tomorrow. The guy says, you know, he's a good worker. He says, fine, do whatever you got to do. He thinks maybe he's going to the doctor, whatever it is. And he runs into the forest. He says, I'm going to find out where all these sheep are going to. Who is the sheep whisperer over here? What's going on? Where is all these sheep disappearing by themselves? So he goes, and he came prepared. He brought a little candle with him. He's like, if they're going to the cave, he's like, just talking to himself, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to take to the bottom of this. He follows the sheep. The sheep goes right to the same place, and it goes into the cave. Takes a deep breath, follows the sheep, safe distance. And as he's going deeper and deeper into the cave, he sees the sheep, and suddenly in the distance, he sees this huge old beer. And that's when his heart stops. <laughs> and he sees the beer over there, and he sees the sheep walking up over there, and the beer is just like watching the sheep. And the sheep gets close. The beer gets the sheep gets close enough. It was like an old sickly bear. Suddenly, the bear takes its big paw, scoops it up, and you know makes a bracha. No, no. He goes and he starts. You know, he starts enjoying the meal. He rips the sheep into pieces. If it's children' tail, you know, the sheep goes to sleep, and um, and you know they make you know ala esh. They make a, you know grilled vegetables with a kebab going on. The, you know, and the beer has his uh, his dinner. The guy, the you know. He sees this all, this, this construction worker, tiptoes out, walks back to the construction site, tells the construction you know, owner, he says, I quit, I'm done. He says, what's going on? He, and the guy says, he says, if God could feed a beer in a cave, he could feed me in my house, I'm done. <laughs> the guy says, you are crazy, I have no idea what you're talking about, 
But yes, please go home, see a doctor or something. Um, he goes home. His wife says, what are you doing home so early? Same story, right? Not a different wife. Um, and she says, uh, he says, listen, he says, if God could feed the beer in a cave by him just sitting there, then God could feed me. And she's like, you've gone bonkers. The story happened in England, probably. Uh, he says, what's going on over here? He says, why'd you go? And he's like, listen, I'm going to the Bethlehem Dash. I'm going to pray. I'm going to learn. And they argue with him. She's like, so he goes, he figures a little fluke. Tomorrow he's going to probably go back to work. He goes straight to the Bethlehem Dash and he starts learning. He comes home late at night and she's, uh, you know, he's saying Tehidim. The next morning he wakes up bright and early, but he's at home. He's saying Tehidim. His wife wakes up and says, what are you doing home? He says, repeats the same sentence. He says, the beer, God could feed the beer or God could feed me. And he, she calls up the rabbi and says, Rabbi, you got to go talk to my husband over here. I don't know what he's talking into. The rabbi comes in and says, why are you not at work? She tells him the same cryptic statement. The rabbi says, listen, I don't know what to tell you. I, I'm trying to, nothing's working. He's not, he's not budging. Every day, day in and day out, this guy is sitting over there and he's going and he's praying and he's going and he's, uh, he's doing what, he's, uh, you know, what he thinks he needs to do. He's praying. He doesn't waste time. He's not sitting there watching the sports you know, game. He's going and he's praying and he's learning to all the entire day. It was a righteous Jew. Finally, there was no money. There was really no money coming in. So the wife started had to pawn some of the, some of the stuff. She started selling some of the jewelry, started selling some of this. Finally, there was no food left, nothing to, nothing to sell. They had one final item they had. They had their, their donkey. She says, what am I supposed to do? She sold the donkey. Sold the donkey to some, you know, Arab traveler. And, uh, you know, with that, they were living. Meanwhile, he's still doing the same thing. He's learning. He's saying to him, and he's not, uh, he's not budging. This, uh, you know, this Arab, you know, what his job was is he would, you know, sort of search for treasures. And, you know, so they told him where to dig in a certain place. He found, you know, a treasure map. I don't know, whatever. Use your imagination. He went, and he was digging in a certain place. And he was digging. And lo and behold, he's digging, and clink, he hears he hit something. He is thinking, he's praising Allah, he's everything, he's, you know, he opens it up, he finds a box, he opens it up full of gold coins, he is so happy, he starts loading the donkey. He loads the donkey, he's trying to make his way out, suddenly, you know, a tree, you know, a branch falls down, hits him on his head, breaks his neck, and kills his Arab instantly. Now, the donkey is sitting over there, you know, he's waiting for instructions what to do. He, you know, he's not looking and be like, oh, you know, he's dead. You know, he's a donkey. Um, so he's going and he's like, the donkey's waiting. No one's, no one's telling him where to go. So he starts walking. Where does he walk? The only place he knows where to walk, which is back to the guy's house where the guy's uh, in a digger. He walks in and the donkey just walks right back into the stable. The next morning, the wife, you know, wakes up and she sees there's a donkey. A donkey's right back in the, you know, in the house. She goes and sees he has some stuff on him. She opens up the, you know, what's going on with the donkey, and she sees it's full of gold coins. She says, I start screaming. She says, her husband calls over, and he says, you see? He says, just like the, you know, the bear you know, got his sheep, God sent us the money. It was for him, it was for yeah, This is obvious. This is what's going on here. They obviously, you know, like any good story, whatever. They waited, no one came, they and they kept the money. But what we see over here, Tzadik yeah. Someone who has faith, you could, and this doesn't mean faith, yeah, okay, I don't have to, you know, play video games all day. You know, I'm going to go shopping all day. God will worry about the credit card bill. You know, this is obviously, you know, you're talking about somebody who's doing the right thing with his time. Doing the right thing with his time. God takes care of it. This is the emunah that we need to all strive for, that we need to get to. It says like this. It says that every mitzvah that we do is not in memory of something. Like we're sitting in squad, it's not memory. It actually has a power. Like for example, Pesach, the power is our freedom. Shavuot is the Torah. The power of Sukkot is the power of emunah, the power of faith. Like we said in the beginning, it is the shade of faith. The Tzila de Mehemnusa, as the Zohar says, it's a shade of faith. Just like God protected us in the Bidbar, in the desert, with the clouds of glory, so too God will protect you, will take care of you and all your problems, even if it appears that He's not, even if it appears that He's hiding, He is there, He is watching, and He is taking care of you. 
this is what it says in Leviticus regarding the, um, the Sukkot, regarding the, the, the holiday of Sukkot. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 43. It says, that, you, that your old nations, the generation they will know that I put the Jewish people in Sukkot. And now, the re- reason you have to understand, Leman Yehidu is knowledge. And Munah comes with knowledge. You know that there is a God. You know that God's watching over you. Not blind faith. You know that there is a God that's watching over you. This is what it says in, you know, in, in Hosea chapter 2 verse 22. It says, And I will betroth to you with faith. And you know God. You know God. There's a very, very interesting thing that says in the Piyutim, in, uh, in the second day of Sukkot, if you want to look at it, it's in, uh, by, the, um, when, when, by the Chazan's repetition, by the Chazal Tashat. It goes and it says something like this. I want to read it for you in Hebrew and I'm going to translate it. It should not be the mitzvah of Sukkah. It should not be light in your eyes. Listen to the what it's saying over here. Something you probably never heard of before. Because its laws are equal to all the mitzvot in the Torah. You keep the mitzvah of sukkah, it's like you kept everything. That's the power of the sukkah. Now the question is what? Like we hear of other things, but like the mitzvah of sukkah is equal to everything else? Yes, because the mitzvah, power of sukkah is emunah. And emunah is the foundation of every mitzvah. As we know in Tehillim, chapter 119, verse 86, it says, Kol mitzvotecha emunah. Your, all your commandments are emunah. The foundation of everything as a Jew is emunah, is, is faith. Now we begin to understand the Gemara Navod Azara, page three, that says that when the, the you know when, when Mashiach is going to come, all the non-Jews are going to be like, "Hey, God, you know, you would have given us, you know, the Torah. We also would have kept it." So God says, "Okay, I'll give you a mitzvah. You let's see what you're going to do with this mitzvah." And what does God give them? The mitzvah of sukkah. The Gemara goes down up there that the God is going to give them the mitzvah of sukkah. God is going to make it very hot. They're going to go what? This mitzvah of sukkah. They're going to go. They're going to kick the sukkah. And they're going to go out. But the question is, why out of all the mitzvot that God made them do, is going to choose the sukkah? Pick something that, you know, represents the whole mitzvah, all the mitzvah, give them all the mitzvah. The answer is, that's why God picked the mitzvah of sukkah. Because the mitzvah of sukkah represents everything, because the foundation is emunah. That's what sukkot is, it's the foundation of emunah. And we know the foundation of every mitzvah, all mitzvotech emunah. All the power of all the mitzvot, everything, the foundation is emunah. So when God tests the non-Jews, He is testing them with all the mitzvot. Because all the mitzvot is based off emunah, and that's what sukkah represents. When a person goes into sukkah, you realize all the mitzvot we do with part of our body. You do outside your body, part of your body. Sukkah, you go into the. You're, you're literally inside the mitzvah. You're enveloped in the in the in the mitzvah. You're you're completely surrounded. You're like this is God's hug. This is literally God's hug. You're in God's power. Everything, no, nothing matters. The shvilah pinchas goes in and brings down. I hope you guys are with me. It's so beautiful. Oh, it's a shame if you guys are not with me. Shame for me and a shame for you. And for your children, because it's going to change your you change your life. Listen to this. We're going to go. But follow me. Th- follow with me. This Philip Inchas goes and brings down. It says when Adam Rishon before this, when the, when when God was going to create Adam Rishon, he went and he asked the angels are presenting certain character traits, and he goes and he went and he asked Chesed, and he asked him, should we create Adam? And Chesed said, yeah, he should be created. Why? Because he'll do a lot of kindness. He'll do a lot of Chesed. So said, fine. God goes to Emet. Emet. Truth. Truth. He says. Or should I create should I create Adam? And and, and Emet says, No, no, no. Man is not so truthful. Realize that man is not I don't know. He said man is not so man is not, I don't know. He said, he said humans are not gonna be so truthful. They should not be created. They should not be created, he's full of lies. God goes to Tzedek, righteousness, and says, Should I be created? He says, Yeah, you know, man is very charitable. Man is very charitable and righteous. You should create it. And then he goes to Shalom, peace. And peace said, No, 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 you should not be created because there's a lot of quarrelsome, there's a lot of arguments, a lot of fights, you should not be created. So we see over here. 
two were 50-50, right? Two were pro, two were against. Emet and Shalom were against God creating man, and Tzedek and, um, and Chesed said that he should be created. Now what God did in this Pasuk in Daniel, chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Vatishlach emes alta, and God threw emes to the, to the earth. So, like, that's what God, so, emet and shalom, which means it's truth and peace. Both said no, but God took emet and says, I'm going to throw you down into earth. The question is, why didn't he throw down also shalom? Why didn't he also throw down peace? Peace should also, they both said no, let them both go down. Why did God only, and what does it mean he threw him down also? Well, just, we'll try to understand this. God took emes and he cast him down into the, into the world. This is a, this is a, this is a mitrash. So we know that the Torah is known as emet. It says, we know when we go up to the Torah, it says, Asher natan lanu Torah emet. God gave us the, the Torah emet. It's the truth. It's the truth of the Torah. Now, emet, when it, it represents the Torah. Shalom, what is, what is shalom? What was, what was peace saying that, no, 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 you should not create man? Why did peace say don't create man? Because for peace, God, God you know, the peace was saying that, Man has an evil inclination and a good inclination. But inside, it's always struggling. They'll never have peace. If you're going to create man, he's always going to be struggling with his evil inclination. Don't create him. He's going to go and he's going to fall. The peace over there is going to fall. So God says, ah, you know, okay, for that's why you're worried about it? No problem. There's a Gemara in Kedushin, which if you haven't followed through the ways that we'll be going for the past few classes, I've mentioned it almost every single class in the past few times, and there's a reason for it. The Gemara in Kedushin says, Barati Barati Torah Tavlin. I've created the evil inclination, I've created the antidote. The antidote is the Torah. He says, if you want to go and you want to get out of the evil inclination, that's what you're going to have the Torah. So what was the Shalom's problem? Shalom's problem is that there's going to be an evil inclination and they're going to be at odds with the good inclination. There's not going to be peace inside with the two inclinations. God says, I'm going to throw emes into the ground. Why? Because I'm going to put emes, I'm going to put the Torah into the world. Now that you have the Torah, now that you have the power to to get the antidote against the evil inclination, now that you have the power to get the evil inclination, now Shalom has nothing to say. And, and, and it would answer all, all, you know, all the questions. So now, when, <clears throat> I'm going to go a little bit more and then we're going to wrap everything up very beautifully. At least we'll try. Let me bring you another midrash. I didn't realize how deep this class was until now. I'm sorry. Uh, I should have gave you a warning that you have to concentrate. Oh well. Um, uh, midrash and Rumah goes and says like this. It says that when God created the world, God wanted to put his dwelling place amongst the world. And that's what it was until Adam Arishon sinned. When Adam ate from the Etzadas, not an apple, right? He ate from the Etzadas. When he ate from the Etzadas, he, God withdrew himself, had to withdraw himself from, from the world and it became a virtual, spiritual wasteland. Now, the world was dark, says the Midrash, until after Yitziat Mitzrayim. It was void, it was dark, it was empty until after Exodus. The Zohar says something, that there are three things that are interrelated. The Torah, God, and the Jewish people. All those three things are, in, are interrelated. As the Pasuk says in Kohelet, A three-plied cord is very difficult to rip. It's, three, you know, it's, it's more stronger. So now, we have to understand what it is. That everything that happened, with God, the way that it happened with God, the way that it happened with the Jews, the way that it happened with Torah, because they're connected, there was a pattern that's going on over here. Now, now stick with me and, and listen to this beautiful idea that Philip Pinchas brings down. It says like this. It says that, God went and he told the angels, remember we said in the beginning that God put the angels to Avraham Avinu? He made them go specifically when Avraham Avinu was going doing the mitzvah of Sukkah. And he put them specifically in the mitzvah of Sukkah to symbolize, what was the mitzvah of Sukkah? Because the mitzvah of Sukkah symbolized the fact that the Jewish people had blind faith in God. Okay. So, the, yeah, so first of all, it says that there was matzot also. 
Different topic in its entirety. How do you split those two things? Way long. Maybe we'll speak about that in Pesach. How we understand it, which is true, because it says also regarding the matzah. But let's let's put that on the on the on the back burner for now. There was it was it was a sukkah. The mitzvah speaks down that it was it was under the sukkah and that was the shade. So God made it specifically under under the mitzvah of of sukkot that He went down over there as a symbolic gesture that just like Avraham Avinu was doing what he's doing right now, so too in the future the Jewish people will sit in a sukkah representing the emunah. Now. Why is this so important at this, at, you know, at this point in time? Because this shows that the foundation we set of everything, of all the mitzvot, is emunah. So what God is telling the angels, God is telling the angels, and he says, ah, why are you giving, why are you giving you know, the, the Jewish people, why are you giving them the Torah? He says, how do, they, how do they deserve it? And the answer is, don't you remember that you went and you sat in the sukkah, you sat in the shade of Avraham Avinu? That didn't answer them like, oh yeah, we got shade and that's why they get it. But rather that symbolizes what the Jewish people represent. The Jewish people represent, what is the sukkah? The sukkah is a munah. The angels, God says, you have a munah. There's no faith in you. You have no free will. There's no way that you could have faith. The Jewish people had the faith. They went and threw it. That's how they got out of the exodus. That's how they crossed the sea. That's how they got everything because everything is the foundation of faith. With the power of faith, they're getting everything. That's how they get the power of the Torah. The power of the Torah comes with the faith. And he says, says the angel says, you don't have this. He says, that's why the angels were silenced from it. Because now there was a reason for it. And it had to be specifically for Abraham Avinu. Because Abraham Avinu, no, got tested in his faith. Got tested ten times. God tells him, Lech lecha Go leave from your land. God tells him to tell him where you go to. He had blind faith. Abraham Avinu was the, you know, he was the, the first one. He was the one that changed. He just went. Whatever God says, God says, pick up and go. I'll pick up and go. You realize, his test was test of faith. Go and slaughter your son. Not... Everything that against that he represented, he just had to do it. He represented emunah. He represented faith. God said the mitzvah of the sukkah is going to come by you, it's going to, and that's why the angels came specifically by Abraham, specifically why I was going to mitzvah because that's representing emunah. Emunah is the foundation of everything, and that is why the, it was able to silence the, um, the 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 angels during that time. Let's try to put this all in together and try to close it off. We started off with many questions over here. Uh, give me a second, then I'll open up for questions. We started with many, many questions. Number one, the sukkah is, the, the Zohar says it's, the, it's, a, it's a shade of faith. The, then we said the sukkah has a connection between the Torah. It's, we get the merit of the sukkah, we get the Torah. Then we also asked that the sukkah is equal to all the other mitzvot in the Torah. And then we also said that the, because of the merit of the sukkah, because of that, we, he was able to silence the angels. So now we put this all into perspective. It makes a lot of sense what's going on over here. You realize the power that you have in the sukkah. When you're going in the sukkah, first of all, you have to understand that it represents emunah. It's a foundation of emunah because it's a clouds of glory. Clouds of glory. You know what it meant, the clouds of glory? Nothing mattered for the Jewish people. The, the, you know, if people shot arrows at them, it just deflected right back at them. It was calm. They, it was dry cleaning for their clothing. They didn't have any scorpions. God took care of everything. It was pure, simple, unadulterated faith. No one can touch the Jews. When the Jew, that's what the, that's what the sukkahs represented. They represented the cloud of glory, glory, which is the emunah. Now that we have the emunah, we said that all the foundation of everything, we said that Hafkuk went and brought down everything, he brought it down to one mitzvah. The question that we ask is, why only one mitzvah did he bring it down to out of all the mitzvot? That's what he picked, and he picked specifically that because that's included in everything. All the, all the mitzvot are all emunah. All the foundation is all based on emunah. So when Chavguk brought it down, it's brought it down to the foundation of everything. So now we see over here that the Jewish people, the merit that they had it is the sukkah, they got the Torah. Because the merit of the sukkah of Abraham Avinu, we were able, God was able to deflect the claim of the angels. Because the angels said, well, they don't deserve it. It says, of course they deserve it. 
They have emunah. Emunah represents everything. Emunah represents the ability to go and get rid of the satan. Why do they get We said the same idea. That God put that Torah. Everything works hand in hand. It's like a beautiful puzzle that all plugs in together. And you see it's like a beautiful circle. That emet is the Torah. And God sent down emet. God sent down the Torah. And that's why God, we said that there's a three-ply cord. It's, it's not easily you know, separated. The God, the Jewish people... And the, you know, and the Torah. God came down and then the world was desolate. That, he came down and first was desolate, the world was desolate. The Torah came down also. The world was desolate. It was void of the Torah. The Jewish people also had to go into some sort of desolate. That's why they went to the Midbar. They went into the desert. Just like the Torah. Just like God. Just like everything. They all followed the same path. They went into the desolate. Because they went into that, they had the power, they had the ability to go and get the Emunah. They had the power and the ability to go and get uh, the, you know, the Torah for, uh, you know, uh, you know, for themselves. This is how everything plugs in so beautifully. So you're going into the sukkah. The sukkah really is the shade of faith. You realize every single second that you're in the sukkah, you're getting a mitzvah. That is something so unbelievable that you have. The power that you have is, is so unbelievable. Do not waste it. Spend every free minute that you have in the sukkah. Any questions? Before we ask any questions, is it clear? For some people. For other people, not clear. For other people, take time for that. Just for other people, they're not in the room anymore. Okay. In the Never Never Land. Okay, questions. But I'm sorry, we're gonna have to. I have like two minutes of questions, and I gotta I gotta run. So let's do it. Questions? Yeah. I have two questions. Yeah. Right. So it's a positive. So it's a positive. It's a, it's a it's a positive bound um, mitzvah. Which is a positive time bound mitzvah, which women do not have the obligation to sit in the sukkah. But if you sit in the sukkah, you got a mitzvah. You don't have the obligation. Your question, if it's a follow-up as to why in that perspective, we don't have the time to get into that now. Excellent question, though. Okay. I, I won't ask a second one, so I'll, I'll ask you later. Okay. Any other questions? We got like one and a half minutes. I'm sorry. I, I, anybody else? Is my question answerable? Or... Oh, what was your question again? <laughs> oh, how far do you have to go? I Excellent question. I wanted to give a series at Emunah. Bizarre Hashem, I'm working on it. This is something that will happen sometime, hopefully, Bizarre Hashem, down in the near uh, future. So the question is, how far do you have to go? It really depends on your level of Emunah. But true, deep inside, how much you love living now. There are people that I know personally that they live in Israel that they don't have enough. They, their income is short, a few hundred dollars every single month because they're learning, they're doing, they're they're doing that, they're, and they're living, and every single month they live. There's some people that are able to do that, some people are not. It depends on your level of emunah. For the majority of us, still work, still date. Don't expect your husband to come in over there with a bouquet of flowers and be like. You know, I'm Prince Charming, you know, and a horse, a white horse with the, you know, shining armor. Well, if he does come in, that probably run away, because that's something, <laughs> yeah. But I'm saying, you, you have to do Yerish Tadlut. You have to do Yerish Tadlut to, to the fact. But the more Emunah that you have, the less Yerish Tadlut you have to do. But I have to be very careful with that. We have to give a whole class on Emunah to try to go and, and uh, delve into that, into the depths of that. Any other questions? What was your question, the long one, really quickly? No, no long question. Okay, Chazakabo. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.